0: Welcome back to the dir Show. You may see a little change of background. I'm on uh, Martha's Vineyard now for a few days, and we'll be broadcasting from there. Um, today I'm going to talk about a subject I know nothing about, golf. What do I know about golf? Um, I remember meeting a great lawyer friend of mine who hated golf, but he had to play it because the, the clients wanted to play, so we hated every minute of playing it. And he said to me, Alan, your tombstone will list all your great cases and say all this without playing golf. So when I was a kid, I played a little pitch and putt, and, you know, that kind of thing. But I was never been a golfer. And, you know, golfers, it's a religion. And so I want to pardon myself early on if I make any mistakes about golf. Um, the other thing I want to talk about relating to golf, is of course, something I know a great deal about human rights um, and something i know a considerable amount about saudi arabia so obviously you know what i'm talking about i'm talking about the um, potential merger that looks like it's mo- moving forward uh, obviously between the uh, pga and the um liv um for those of you who aren't familiar with it, pga of course is the largest golf tour in in the world it has all the great golfers uh, but now Uh, Saudi Arabia, the sovereign fund, which is worth (laughs) much of the money in the world, um, has decided to get full time into sports. They actually offered uh, Lionel Messi a a mess of money. He turned it down and he's going to Miami, where I spent some time. So I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, play. But he turned down. Uh, reported half a billion dollars uh, to go to to Saudi Arabia. But a lot of the golfers have accepted uh, LIV's offer and have made fortunes and fortunes of money, much more than they were making in the PGA. And um, so so the question is, should the PGA, which is really very American um, and stands for American golf, um, essentially be taken over by the money from from saudi arabia let's start out by remembering a little bit about the pga not the cleanest not the best organization in the history of the world obviously for years it discriminated uh viciously uh against african americans against jews against women uh you know discrimination was the name of its game um many of the golf courses that uh uh, b- participated in the tour were restricted to uh, mostly white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. So its history is not one deserving of particular uh, sympathy. Uh, and yet it held out against uh, the Saudi Arabian takeover. The, the head of the PGA said, as long as I'm the head of the PGA, we will never never uh, merge or do anything together with the LIV, those sorties. And of course then he changed his mind and is now embracing uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, the uh, crown prince of, of Saudi Arabia. He thinks things, things change. Yeah, things change. I I wouldn't call it change. I would call it uh, large amounts of money. Uh, f- things are influenced by money. Well, things have changed a little bit in Saudi Arabia. We know nobody can doubt this, that Saudi Arabia and almost certainly MLB was responsible for the brutal murder and dismembering of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. I was very interested in that for lots of reasons. Uh, I represented uh, Jamal Khashoggi's uncle, Adnan Khashoggi, you may remember him, he was a notorious <laughs> arms dealer who got indicted in, uh, in New York, uh, along with um, Mrs. Marcos from the Philippines. And um, uh, I gave legal advice to Khashoggi. I'll never forget going to his house, his apartment. He had this magnificent apartment, you might imagine, um, overlooking Central Park, and you walk into his apartment, and it looks like a museum. Uh, every major artist—Picasso and Modigliani—everybody is, is uh, represented on his walls. I know a lot of bad art, and um, I was waiting for him to come, and I was looking at the art, and I was intrigued by it. And I was looking at it with a kind of skepticism, and he said to me, "Professor Dr. uh yes." I see you know art. And I said, yeah, I know. I know a bit about art. He said, then you know. I didn't want to say anything, but I knew. He said, I said, know what? He said, well, you know, you're just being polite. You know these are all fakes. I said, well, I had a sense, this one certainly, uh, Mo Dugmiani is a fake because I've seen the real one in a museum just a couple of months ago. And I don't imagine you took it off the wall there or you bought it. It was not for sale. He said, every single one of my pieces of art is a fake uh, drawn, painted by a great, great faker, the world's greatest fakers. He said, I love fake art. He said, because I myself, I'm a faker. He said, my life has been faking and my art is fake. Um, Well, he got acquitted. So uh, uh, that worked out. That worked out OK. But, you know, I followed the Kosogi family and there's no doubt at all by anybody. State Department, the CIA. They have tape recordings. They know, there's absolutely no doubt, the circumstances of uh, Jamal Khashoggi's death. Um, and there's very little doubt that the uh, crown prince at least knew about it, and there's some suspicion that he you know, organized it. Uh, Khashoggi, a journalist, a reporter for the Washington Post, was reporting very critically on uh, uh, Mohammed bin uh, Salman and, and and on the regime in, in, in general and um, and so you know the ultimate form of censorship is assassination and that's what they apparently did. having said that and without trying to justify or excuse it under the leadership of MBS Saudi Arabia has certainly moved away from being perhaps the most repressive uh, regime possibly in the world, um, uh, executing dissidents and cutting arms off and, you know, keeping women in their their homes, having babies. And uh, they've moved quite a bit away from that under MBS. Uh, Women now can drive their cars. They can go out unaccompanied by men. There's a small amount of possible dissent, not much. Uh, The rampant anti-Semitism of the regime um, you couldn't get into Saudi Arabia if you were Jew, or if obviously if you were somebody with an Israeli passport. That has changed. And the Saudis, although they're making deals with everybody, they've established now a good relationship with Iran, which is today the most repressive regime in the world. Um, but they've also established under the radar increasing relationships um, with israel and they do a lot of business with the jewish uh, business people um you can get into saudi arabia as a jew without a problem um, a little bit of dissent not much is tolerated um, much of the royal family is now still uh, imprisoned in hotels to make sure that they don't revolt against mbs so um as with many repressive countries it's a uh, it's a mixed picture, um, some progress, you know, would you say it's one step forward, two steps backward? I think it's more likely two steps forward, one really big step backwards. I mean, the the murder is, is inexcusable and um, it would be, I think, wise if MBS were to acknowledge at least the role of the country in doing it, but the United States has maintained its good relations with Saudi Arabia as we speak today, um, uh, Secretary of State Blinken is in Saudi Arabia, posing, sitting with um, MBS and uh, making arrangements and deals uh, that are in the national interest in the United States. You have to do that. You you, you don't only have alliances with good countries and, and friends. You have alliances with uh, countries that serve your interest, uh, good or bad, uh, you know, there are no such things as principles, only interests when it comes to foreign relations. And uh, although I think uh, Blinken is more principled than some in the past, still, he maintains a policy that's what's good for, you know, what's good for America, as my grandmother used to say when I would come back from watching a baseball game and saying the Brooklyn Dodgers won. She said, yeah, but was that good or bad for the Jews? Uh, well, you know, she was quite a parochial person brought up in a shtetl in Eastern Europe, pogroms, murders, and uh, you know, uh, Blinken is a a, a lawyer, brilliant. uh, uh, The American administration is very sophisticated, and they ask the same question. Henry Kissinger asked the same question when he was the Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor. It's a question you have to ask if you're an American government official, is it good or bad for America? Um, You also have to ask, is it good or bad for human rights? Is it good or bad for the world? So the question I want to pose, and I don't have an answer, and so I really pose this as an open question and would love to see some of your responses is, is it a good development or a bad development for the uh, PGA to merge, take over, be taken over by, have the kind of relationship it now has with the um, LIV? Uh, will that help perhaps move Saudi Arabia in the right direction? Will it reward Saudi Arabia for its, uh, for its bad ways? We had the same question with Qatar. Um, uh, during the World Cup, uh, Qatar obviously paid an enormous amount of money to obtain rights to the World Cup and um, cleaned up its act uh, considerably before the World Cup and before the vote. And maybe it's been moving in the right direction I know the Emir of Qatar and his brother I've met with them on a couple of occasions and uh, individually personally they're very nice people um, but you know Qatar is not a free and democratic uh, country where people vote for their leaders and can say anything they want at all times but um, you know it's a country that's very influential in the world the same thing is true with the with the Emirates and other countries in the Middle East they're there they are monarchies that's a probably polite way of saying dictatorships they have some parliaments and they have some input from the people but in the end uh, the monarch's view prevails and uh, and yet the emirates have moved in some very good directions the abraham accords were a very very positive step uh, forward and We're seeing a movement, a slight movement towards civil liberties. I thought that might happen in China as well, when the Chinese economy flourished and China wanted to become part of the world economy. I actually gave some series of lectures in in China and I teach Chinese students on the internet. And I really thought that if it wanted to develop a legal system to attract business, it would also have to develop a legal system that recognized more basic human rights. That hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. I thought that By incorporating Hong Kong, which has a tradition, a much more democratic tradition than mainland China, perhaps uh, the same thing would happen. It hasn't happened. China's actually moved backwards, uh, away from uh, greater dissent. Yes, it does today guarantee uh, businesses um, more uh, appropriate uh, protection under the so-called rule of law. But when it comes to Chinese dissidents, I first went to China in 1979, sent there by Ted Kennedy to uh, look into uh, the democracy wall, the beginning flourishes of democracy right after the Cultural Revolution. Uh, It really looked like China might be moving in the right direction. And it did. It did for a while. And it's not what it used to be, but uh, it has a long way to go. Um, And of course, we remember the worst experience of this in history when uh, Adolf Hitler essentially bought the uh, Olympics in 1936 in order to present the great Aryan race, uh, winning all of its Olympic medals. Of course, Jesse Owens, who was African-American, beat the German runners. And by the way, the person who probably would have come in second um, was a Jewish kid from Brooklyn. I think his name was Marty Glickman. And he was banned from running because Hitler said, I don't want any Jews running. And uh, Avery Brundage, who was the head of the U.S. Olympic Committee, was a Nazi lover, uh, a sympathizer with Nazism. uh, And he admired Hitler. And he uh, defrauded the Olympic Committee by changing the vote. And uh, most Olympians uh, were in favor of boycotting the 1936 Nazi Olympics. But uh, Avery Brundage, whose name should uh, never be uh, listed among uh, positive or or good people, uh, uh, deserves a special place in hell, um, uh, uh, was a Nazi admirer. And he manipulated the vote to get the United States to send a team without Jews um, to the Olympics. And Hitler took advantage of that and it became an enormous, enormous Propaganda victory. I'm not saying there's a comparison between Hitler and Saudi Arabia. No, there is not. And I'm not saying that there's a comparison between the way in which Saudi Arabia uses its money, which is enormous, and Hitler's, which didn't have that kind of resources, um, used uh, his power and influence to bring the Olympics. But a similar question is raised. And the similar question was raised under the uh, presidency of, of Jimmy Carter when he made the mistake in those days. Of uh, canceling uh, American participation in the Olympics for reasons that weren't particularly compelling, uh, you know the Russian invasion. I think it was in Afghanistan. Uh, you know that happens every month, something like that. Uh, but Jimmy Carter, you know, always sat on his high horse, and you know to postpone an Olympics or to postpone American involvement in Olympics. These kids work. Day and night for years and years and years to qualify, usually for one Olympics, because every four years and, you know, for certain sports, if you're over 18, if you're over 22, if you're over 25, you're not going to be particularly good. So a lot of young men and women uh, were hurt terribly by Carter's uh, mistaken view uh, to cancel uh, the Olympics. And it was not a view that I think most Americans supported, but uh, Jimmy Carter did it. And so the question remains, is it a good thing? Um, And what could we do if we don't think it's a good thing? It's private industry. The PGA is a private company. It's not a government company. It's supposed to be a non-for-profit corporation, right? And I, I know a bridge in Brooklyn that's for sale. You know, part of the PGA is not for profit, but part of it, Owning the television rights and all of that is extraordinarily profitable. There are people making money off the PGA. Let me put it that way. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And this decision is all about money. The players who went uh, to the LIV went for money. The PGA boycotted them and said, you can't play in the PGA if you play in the LIV. And that was about money. And clearly, the big change that occurred that was referred to by the head of the PGA, things change, was money. Money changed hands. I'm not saying under the table or properly or illegally, but, uh, you know, the Saudis have no limit in money. You know, interesting countries. Saudi Arabia and Norway were among the poorest countries in the world, uh, at the end of the 19th century, uh, Norway was a welfare case. Uh, Saudi Arabia was, you know, a bunch of sand. And then in both instances, uh, God was good to them. Uh, And uh, uh, gave them land that had oil and natural resources buried under it. Uh, You know, people say, Jews are so smart. Why did uh, Moses turn left and go to Israel, which has no oil, instead of going right, where he could have had all the oil in the world? Joke. But um, uh, oil and natural resources make the difference between Saudi Arabia and Jordan. Jordan's a poverty-stricken uh, country. It's right near Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is one of the richest countries in the world. Bahrain, uh, Qatar, they're all, you know, they're basically family-owned gas stations uh, or oil wells. And so they you know use their incredible, incredible resources. And they're smart. Uh, Saudi Arabia used to have oil. All, all it had was oil. And then they realized, of course, oil is a diminishing uh, resource that, we're going to be by the end of this century, certainly probably halfway through the century, we will not be using oil. And so the Saudis have uh, created this sovereign fund and they now own real estate and they're now buying sports franchises. Um, they own tourist companies. They own so many things. They've they've diversified and they've done it very, very well and very successfully. And uh, now they want to do it with golf. And golf is an extraordinarily popular sport in the United States. I admit, I do not watch it. I'm going to watch the NBA game, one game each tonight. The third game is usually a really important one. Great, great teams. Miami, unfortunately, they beat the Celtics. And, of course, the Nuggets, which are the number one team in the NBA today, with the Joker, who may be the number one player in the NBA today. What a, what a phenomenal phenomenal ball player a guy as big as he is and as uh, powerful as he is moves like a point guard and it's just amazing passes like a point guard uh, just uh, an amazing talent uh you know uh, along with so many other uh, talents lebron james and others but he's not in the finals so i'm going to watch basketball i watch baseball i do watch soccer i take some breaks for a while and uh go away for half an hour and nothing happens uh, during that half an hour. But sometimes when I go away, the only goal is scored. But uh, golf is not one of the games I watch. But I am watching the NBA. Um, I'm sorry, I am watching the PGA. LIV uh, merges story, not from the point of view of a golf fanatic, but the point of view from a human rights fanatic. And as a human rights fanatic, and as somebody who cares a lot about the future of Saudi Arabia, which is the most powerful most populous, the largest country in the Middle East. I I care deeply about whether this merger will push the Saudis uh, toward a more liberal approach or toward a more tyrannical approach. My prediction, it will prove it a little bit more toward toward human rights. A little bit, but not enough. And we we won't be satisfied, but money will talk and we will allow... Uh, the Saudis to get involved in more and more and more and more sports ventures. And, you know, I think the result is they're not going to do again, what they stupidly did to Jamal Khashoggi. So many other ways they could have dealt with him, could have arrested him. All right. It would have been a big story because he was an American citizen, but they could have probably gotten away with that. Uh, But what they did to him, you know, kind of lulling him into the embassy in, in Turkey and, uh, uh, with a whole team, and dismantling, membering him, and then taking parts of his body out, and they got caught. They were smart enough; they should have been smart enough you know they were gonna get caught. You don't get away with things like that. Well, sometimes you do, but uh, you don't get away with that when you're um, Saudi Arabia, and they they were caught. And I think this higher visibility in golf and and soccer and uh, other sports is going to make it harder for MBS to do what he would otherwise perhaps like to do, um, suppress opposition. And, you know, that's also always a matter of degree. Um, The world doesn't seem to care that he's locked up a lot of his relatives in fancy hotels, gilded cages. But when you do something like was done to Khashoggi, the world will, will care. And President Biden said that as long as, uh, you know, Khashoggi is in, in power, as long, I'm sorry, as uh, MBS is in power, there are going to be real problems with the relationships. Well, that hasn't happened. The Saudis are too powerful. And again, interests uh, always prevail over principles. So we'll, we'll keep watching uh, the story. i be interested particularly in the questions and comments from people who are golf fanatics and uh, be interested in knowing what you think. Um, I'm told the majority of players are not happy about this. But uh, we'll see what happens when their incomes go up, whether they remain unhappy or whether uh, dollars can smooth some of the of the concerns. Uh, We'll see. All right. Some questions that have come in. Um, That's why I like your point of view. You are a libertarian as I am. I am also conservative as well as a Trump supporter. That's not me. That's him. Uh, Politically, you may not be on the exact same page. No, we're not on the same page. But your support of the Constitution or our civil liberties makes me pay attention to everything you say about it. Love the show. Uh, All right. I consider myself uh, a moderate and appreciate that you stand firm on the Constitution. I try to keep up with your opinions no matter what. If you could, what was your opinion of Vice President Pence's power to reject the electoral college tally? I don't think he had any power to do that. I think the job of the vice president was simply to account and announce it's a ministerial job, not a policy job. I don't think the vice president um, has the right to do that. Having said that, if the shoe were on the other foot, if this were a vice president who is a Democrat and there were some real questions about the election, many of the same people who have said that the vice president doesn't have the power would be saying they did have the power. Uh, you never can ever overstate the hypocrisy of academics, of journalists, and of others, uh, both on the left and on on the right, but um, I hope I stick to my principles. I don't think it's a matter of constitutional law that the vice president has any power other than to to count and, and to... Um, but, you know, if you had a case where the, there was a strong argument that, uh, uh, for example, the vote was overwhelming in a particular state for candidate A, and uh, the governor, who was from the other side, simply appointed different electors, uh, you know, that might be a question. Uh, would it go to the courts? Would it first have to go through the vice president? These are questions that we've never had to face. We've had a handful of really contested elections in our history. Obviously, uh, the first election involving um John uh, Adams, I'm sorry, John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson was a deeply contested and many thought corrupt election. And uh, since then, Tilden Hayes and um, uh, Gore uh, Gore versus uh, Bush uh, and obviously the claims of 2020, which I I think was one of the least uh, controversial contested elections. My hope is that 224 will be without controversy, and the only way to do that is to establish in advance some kind of a commission that can respond to complaints before they happen, before the vote occurs. And so you don't have sole losers, and you don't have people complaining that they lost, but you can real-time see if there are problems that have to be solved. And those problems include voting machines, which so far have not been subjected to the kind of scrutiny that uh, I believe voting machines should be subjected to. I'm not saying that any voting machine ever in the past has ever influenced an election the wrong way, but I'm saying there's danger there. And I wrote that uh, in a brief, which I have been criticized, but I stand by my view as somebody who cares deeply about electoral um, uh, consistency and legitimacy. I want to make sure that when the government um delegates to a private company the right to perform a governmental function, namely counting votes, that that company has to be as transparent as the government would be. I stick to that position, despite uh, despite the criticism I've gotten uh, uh, for it. All right. Uh, Trump will be indicted on some pretext. And then again, by Smith and a third time by the woman in Georgia, uh, as the efforts continue to derail him in 2024. It surely looks that way. It surely looks that way. It surely looks like what I wrote about in my book, Get Trump, has absolutely come to pass, that there is, whether it's a concerted effort or individual efforts that combine together to produce a concerted result. Um, But if you read my book, Get Trump, you'll see I predicted this. I predicted that he would be indicted uh, for uh, obstruction of justice, not for the classified material. Um, I believe that he would be indicted by Bragg on a fake, made up, completely uh, concocted, false charge, um, and maybe even convicted because it's New York City, and uh, 90, what, 87% of the New Yorkers who are likely to be on the jury uh, are an- voted anti-Trump. I think we don't know what's going to happen in either Washington, D.C., or in um, Fulton County, but uh, I don't see, based on the evidence that I now know, Uh, those cases uh, having any teeth. And, you know, maybe there's an obstruction case, but I haven't seen the evidence. What I've seen is a tough guy who fights back and doesn't roll over and says to the government, you know, you're trying to get me. I'm not going to make it easy for you. Uh, You know, go to court. We'll challenge you. Uh, No, we're not going to make it easy for you. And we're not going to do what Joe Biden did cooperate completely and turn over everything no we're going to fight back that's constitutionally protected conduct not obstruction of justice we'll see we'll see what happens we'll see if there's an indictment and if so what it says Uh, thank you professor for your thoughtful commentary your show reminds me of a law school class good that's what i wanted to make it like a law school class i wish i had the technology to do it more interactively with you i'd love to conduct a socratic seminar with you the way i did for 50 years At Harvard, you know, at Harvard, my reputation was there's no such thing as a right answer in Dersh's class, because every answer begot more questions and harder questions. The best answers were the ones that provoked the best questions. I remember Ted Cruz, you know, walked into the class the first day with his right hand raised, ready to talk, ready to take me on, ready to confront me, ready to challenge me, ready to criticize me. And I loved it. I loved it. I didn't have to play the devil's advocate with Ted Cruz. The devil himself was there from the point of view of the students. They thought he was this, you know, right wing fanatic. And uh, he loved uh, they loved to see him take me on and me to respond and them to uh, come to their own conclusions. That's what teaching is all about. Uh, And it continues. uh, Most of the talking heads on TV cannot provide an unbiased opinion of current topics for a very obvious reason. If you try to provide an unbiased opinion on CNN, you're gonna be fired. Look, the head of CNN was fired uh, today. The former head of CNN uh, was fired um, some years ago. There's now a move to try to maybe bring him back, even though uh, he has a questionable background. Um, But um, you can't provide an unbiased view. Anybody who ever was unbiased on CNN is in the wastebasket of history. What you have is people like Christine Amapur, uh, the least unbiased foreign, foreign person you ever ever can imagine. You can you imagine her making the following statement? Here you have a case in Israel where a terrorist, from Hamas dr- come up to a car which has a mother and two young children in it. The terrorists shoot the car up. And then to make sure everybody in the car is dead, They walk up to the car, and they fire automatic weapons into the bodies of these dying or dead people. How does Amanpour describe it? It's a shootout, like the shootout in the OK Corral. Oh, these children probably had automatic weapons and were shooting back at the terrorists, and the sheriffs were only defending themselves. It was a shootout. No, no. Finally, after a lot of pressure, Amanpour... um, um, uh, admitted that she had made a slip of the tongue, but it wasn't a slip of the tongue. It may have been a Freudian error, but every one of the errors she has ever made in her career dealing with Israel has always gone against Israel. And so I issued a challenge find me an error you ever made that favored Israel. And I'm now consulting with the family of these uh, people who were killed to see if there's any legal steps that can be taken against uh, CNN. As you know, I'm also suing CNN for defaming me. So stay tuned. We'll, we'll see what happens in the media war and we'll see what happens in the Gulf War. And in the meantime, everybody have a good weekend. See you next week. Tax day is coming. Oh, no.